as last week so today we are in Hebrews 13 and then we are in verses 5 and 6 amen and we read again the word of the Lord I'm going to start out reading the ESV then for the sake of the message I'm going to quote the King James Version amen the scripture says this keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have for he has said I will never leave you nor forsake you so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper I will not fear what can man do to me glory be to God the King James has different words of course mean the same thing when it says that we are to let our conversation amen not be one of covetousness amen and be content with what you have and so this week we want to once again talk about the fact that contentment is a kingdom attitude. Contentment is a kingdom attitude. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. And we're honored, Lord, that you would give us this grace and this mercy to be here this morning that our minds and hearts though troubled on every side we're here God and we know that your word the gospel is the power of God unto salvation we know that in the content of the gospel is a righteousness that has been revealed from faith to faith the just shall live by faith and so we thank you for the power of the gospel we thank you for the power of the cross we thank you for Jesus and Lord, we ask that you would uh, open up your word, as David would say in the psalm, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Here we are for a part two, amen, of the idea of contentment. In many circles of the church today, in many circles of the church today, we have been systematically taught to be discontent. Uh, I'm not talking the world right now, I'm talking about in the church, we have been systematically taught to be discontent. Whether it's some of the songs we listen to uh, in today's church, whether it's books that have been written, whether it's tele-evangelists, uh, even on a local church level, knowingly or unknowingly, we have been given misinformation many times. Um, and, and that's uh, what we want to look at here in this passage and we realize some things that God has for us. That yes, we have been systematically taught to be discontent. And we touched on that last week, but we want to finish this week. I know, I know, uh, 
because I was in the occult and I was in the New Age movement for about five years. And in that movement, I learned, separate from Christianity, how to supposedly visualize things that you wanted. How to repeat with your mouth and words. Believe that there was a way through words and imagination that you could manipulate matter. That there were laws of attraction where you could dress to succeed. You, you could, there was power of the subconscious mind. And, separate from Christianity, learned all these ideas that uh, we were special beings as human beings made in the image of a God and that we had a God-like power to be able to declare and imagine things and that they would come to pass if we had enough concentration on them. And spent five years in that movement and then got saved by the grace of God and then ended up, amen, got saved in a church that called itself a prosperity church or a faith church, the word of faith movement, got saved in that environment and went to the pastor after a few weeks and after reading a few of the booklets that they had in the back of the church and I was stunned because I came to Jesus broken and in trouble. Hallelujah. Amen. I came running from the demons of the occult and the new age, having been confused and afraid, broken. Somebody talked about Jesus and his righteousness and how he'll make someone righteous who believes. Jesus saved me in the midst of that. But after a while, I began to read the booklets and the things that, that were saying the same things I learned in the occult. How many know you need to pray for your pastor? Learn the same things that to see it, to see it, and to say it, to imagine that it's yours and to act like it's yours. See it, imagine it, proclaim it. The things I learned in the occult and in the new age for five years that drove me to the point where I knew I needed Jesus to save me was the same things that were written in these little booklets. And I went to the pastor and I said, I already know all this. Oh my God. I said, I already know all this. I, I know to keep saying something until it gets in my spirit and, and to imagine that I have it and to act like I have it and, and I can get it. And he looked at me and he said, but we do it for Jesus. Oh. That's what he said to me. We do it for Jesus. And I thought to myself, deep in my spirit, something's wrong with that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know Jesus that well over three weeks. Right. And I know something's wrong with the only difference between what I was doing to manipulate matter and spiritual powers. The only difference was I now do it for Jesus. I want to submit that if you continue, uh, I, I know the seduction of that, both from the New Age and the occult and from the prosperity word of faith movement I know the seduction of it and if you teach the people who are already desperate maybe already materialistic or worse covetous it will put 20,000 people in any church sometimes the teachers are deceived by their teachers 
That's what the scripture says, you know. Uh, there are people who are deceived and being deceived. So sometimes if you sit down and read a, a book or listen to a message by somebody that you deem more important and more knowledgeable to you, and they say something and you don't go back it up scripturally and get the word on it yourself, you're just following someone who's deceived and now you're deceived. I'm, I'm submitting that that has happened in large segments of the church. And so sometimes teachers are deceived by their teachers. Other times some know exactly what they are doing. Did you hear what I just said? They know exactly what they're doing. May God have mercy on their souls. Amen. I'm finally at a place in, in my study uh, of, of scripture and, and how God has just graciously pulled me through all kinds of nonsense over all the decades to, to go back to the roots and the historic roots of, of movement like that and be able to understand both in my own experience but also in, in the writings that go all the way back to the 1800s that Kenneth Hagin is not the father of this movement. Pray for me. It goes way beyond that. It goes back to the 1800s, and I'm not going to do a series on that, amen? <laughs> but I'm studying it. I want to think it through, and, and we need to realize it because a lot of people are in bondage and in trouble, and, and they're going through all kinds of changes because they're believing something that does not have its roots in Scripture. Amen. But the things we're going to talk about today are so important. So we, we want to go beyond what new thought in history says new age movement and prosperity we want to go beyond that and go to the text and find out what the Lord has to say about some of these things in the King James there are three things that that we want to look at there in the King James verge version of the verse it, it just talks about three words that that happen to all start with C and so I'm going to use that this morning It's number one let your conversation amen let your conversation be, f be free from covetousness, number two, and then number three, and be content. Let's work with that for a moment as we think about the ideal of conversation. Now, in the ESV, it just simply says in verse five, keep your life free from the love of money. And yet the King James uses the word conversation. And when the King James translated that as conversation, it was uh, very clear and close to how the Greek interprets that word conversation. It means manner of life and, and lifestyle, Amen. behavior. Let your conversation, let the way you live, your behavior, he says in this verse, be free from covetousness. My God. And so the Greek helps us see that that word conversation means a style, the way you live, the way you live, your conduct needs to be free from covetousness. But we need to spend more time on covetousness <laughs> because that word is important in, in respect, amen, and in relationship what I've said about the New Age movement and what I said about the occult and what I said about the prosperity movement or the word of faith movement, you know, the, the, the heart is an idol factory. Amen. The heart can be an idol factory. Amen. And so many times people say the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. I said last week, thank God he didn't give me everything I thought I wanted. Amen. God does not indiscriminately give you everything you think your heart desires. 
It's called sovereignty. It's called what's in line with my purposes and my will. You think things are bad now. Can you imagine if you got everything you ever wanted? Come on. <laughs> the heart can be an idol factory because we're not perfect. Amen. We're saved and we're forgiven and God is moving in our lives and we're partakers of the divine nature by God's grace. He's working in us, working on us, bringing us home. We're not perfect. So our minds get things wrong. Our hearts get things wrong. Our behavior is wrong at times. Amen. Amen. Covetousness. The thing about that word is, is that, you know, it, it, your heart and your, your, your mind and your senses can crave uh, the things that are in the world and, and the affluence that's in the world, and you'll never be satisfied. You'll never be, you'll never be enough. Because that's what covetousness is. It's characterized by an immoderate desire for acquiring wealth immoderate desire for acquiring wealth. And so this scripture uh, in verse 5 it says in King James as well that covetousness is pertaining to not being desirous or greedy for money. Not loving wealth. One who does not love money. Amen. So we need to realize that in that word are two words put together really in the Greek and the first part of that word is is the Greek word for love and it's called to be fond of, to be fond of something. The second part of that word covetousness in the Greek is silver. We are not to be fond of silver. <laughs> in our day and age it's not talking about what you wear around your neck. It's talking about money. Amen. Let your life, let your way of life, let your behavior be free from the love of money. That's what we're seeing here in this text. It's important for us. I love Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 as we talk about this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 it says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with his income. It's never enough. It's never, uh, ask anybody who's filthy rich, they still see there's something missing. You can become neurotic because you have everything else and yet your heart is still hungry for more. Ecclesiastics is touching on that. And the more you get, the more you want. When we focus on material things, our having will never catch up with our wanting. <laughs> Some persons love money but never acquire it. So you don't have to have a lot of stuff to be idolatrous. You could just want it real bad. Amen. <laughs> is that right? Other persons love, love of money is in acquiring it. That's their whole life. That's what they think about day and night. How to get more. How to build on what they already have. How to multiply their dollars and their bank accounts and their possessions and their property. That, that's the love of money is in the getting it. And they live for the thrill of adding to their bank accounts and everything else. And still others are more interested in the things they can buy and display with their wealth. Amen. Identity. Amen. Louis Vuitton. <laughs> Calvin Klein. Amen. Uh, designers. I want to show you I'm all that. I want to show you I have the latest styles and the latest. Uh, I'm up to date. Amen. <laughs> It's important to realize that they're, they're, they, they want money so they can display their wealth because in that they feel that, they're, that that's their identity. 
That's who I am. You remember the parable where the guy had a barn and he said, you know what, my barn's not big enough. All the stuff that I have is so big, I think I'm going to build another barn. You've read that parable, amen? And so he was going to build a, another barn because he couldn't hold all the stuff he had in his first barn. And the scripture says, thou fool. Tonight your soul is going to be required of you. Now whose stuff will it be? So if your life is the pursuit of things and materialism, amen, in an immoderate way, then you're just going to be chasing something that you'll never be able to be satisfied with. Ah, this is something that's so important in chapter 13, verse 5 and verse 6, because this is not just a New Testament thing. This is a part of God's story of the whole Bible. Amen. The whole Bible, I'm going to quote a few things, but the whole Bible is replete, amen, with things that talk about money and things versus the presence and the power of God. We think about it and we see that Achan in Joshua chapter 7, for example, Hopefully you've read that and you know the story. Chapter 7 verse 1 says, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to devoted things. God wanted to destroy and judge your people. He said, don't touch any of the things that are devoted to destruction. Don't touch them. Amen? Because I'm going to destroy this people and everything about them. So the verse 1 in chapter 7 of Joshua says, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan. The son of Carmi of Zebedi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. One man disobeys God to not touch the cursed thing and the whole people suffer because of it. God said, don't touch it. And yet he grabbed some idols. He grabbed some things and hid those things in his tent in the ground. How many know God knows everything? How are you going to hide from God? And we see with him in chapter 7, verse 24, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his donkeys, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them out to the valley of Acre, Joshua. Verse 25, And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? <laughs> The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. My God. When you think of that, it's amazing that one man stole some idols and some, and some things that I listed a moment in the scripture. And, and God sees it. God was upset with that covetousness. That desire that was going on in the midst. And we also have another person called Gehazi. Amen. Elisha's servant. Amen. And this is all throughout the Bible, right? Loving things rather than loving God. Achan was working with Joshua. He's working with Israel. It's the people of God. And yet we see in the people of God those who are covetous. They have this covetousness above, about them. Well, also uh, with uh, Elisha, he had a, a servant. And Elisha, uh, to make a long story short, performed uh, a healing for someone named Naaman who had leprosy. Amen. And when Naaman tried to give Elisha money, he said, no, no, I don't want any money. 
So his servant, Gehazi, was like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> so when Naaman left and went on his way, Gehazi went after him and said, look, I got to get some of that stuff. Yeah. And he went and he lied to Naaman and said, you know, my master changed his mind. You know what I'm trying to say? And he gave him some cloaks and he gave him some silver and everything. And you know what happened? That greed and that covetousness made it so that the leprosy that was on Naaman came on Gehazi. It's important for us to recognize this morning that it's so important for us to realize that what the Bible says it means and it means what it says. It's very important for us to realize that covetousness is a problem. You can't love God and money. Not to say people with money are in trouble. No, because last week we read and saw that those that are rich in this age. In other words, everybody's not. The whole body of Christ is not to seek to be rich. But there are people in the body of Christ who have money. However they may have gotten it, in a godly way, <laughs> they have money. And it says, let those that are rich in this age be careful to do good. Amen. And not to set their heart on that money, but to do good, to store up for themselves treasures in the future. In other words, use your wealth for goodness. Don't covet it just for designer clothes and cars and houses. And don't covet it. Don't lust after it. Don't cheat and lie and be deceiving to build it. We think of these three C's in King James and we, we talked about the fact that our conversation is the way we live. We talked about coveting is a strong desire that for immoderate consumption of things. Well, there's contentment in the verse. And we talked about it, but it says keep, verse 5, your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. How do you have this contentment? What the verse is saying to us. If inside of us we are still Adamic in our nature. See, so you're saved and you have the life of God in your heart. And, your, and he's working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. But you're still human and your humanity is still tainted by sin. Not controlled by it because the spirit indwells you. And so we are not by salvation and being born again. We're no longer slaves of sin. Amen. But that doesn't mean sin doesn't win the victory in our lives from time to time. But how is it that we are to be content? If our hearts can be desperately wicked, if our hearts are not perfect, if our minds are not what we should be focusing them on, how do we do this? Well, here's some answers for us this morning. And, and number one, the whole counsel of God. I quoted some Old Testament stories, amen? Get in the word, learn God's ways, see how he's, he's developing and unfolding who he is and what he's doing and understand God. Look at the whole counsel of God. Don't look at selective scriptures, amen? amen. Don't go to one idea in the Bible and, and ignore everything else. Don't take the scriptures that seem to always be saying that you can have what you say and that you can be rich alone. Look at the scriptures we read today. The whole counsel of God. Another thing that well, if we're going to be content in our lives and if we need to live on purpose. We need to live with some sense of exactness. 
Amen. We need to know where we're going and biblically how we're going to get there. We need to be focused as the people of God. Amen. Because whether it's the world or whether it's the teacher down the street. Amen. A scriptures can be presented to us in ways that will get us off track with God. Live in the moment is another way to be content. You know, don't always be dreaming about something that you wish is going to come. Amen. You keep living in the future in your imagination, in your mind. You're missing the moment sometimes. So that's why it says be content with what you have. Enjoy your family. Enjoy where you are. Amen. As best, what's the good in it? There are problems with it. There are trials with it. But what's the good in it? Live in the moment. We said last week, Jesus said sufficient today is the evil thereof. Don't be anxious and worried about tomorrow. And so we need to live in the moment. And I love this last part as we prepare to close these two weeks on this idea. And that is, he said, we said it last week, he said. Now I like this because chapter 5, uh, chapter 13, verse 6 says this. Well, the end of verse 5, really. Be content with what you have, for he has said. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, it would be interesting if he just said, I'll never leave you. But when you look at how the Greek is written and how this is being quoted from the Old Testament, it's amazing. It's almost double. <laughs> not, will I, not only will I not leave you, I won't forsake you. Now, now, I hope we hear that word today, that he will never leave us and he'll never forsake us. Some scriptures, like we always talk about, are historical. They're cultural. They're meant for the people that they're being spoken to. In other words, I, I, I can't find an upper room and grab five people and anticipate going there and tarrying for the Holy Spirit until tongues of fire come and a rushing wind. That was a one-time event that happened, the rushing wind and the, and, the, and the tongues of fire. We can't take a scripture that was meant to be a narrative it, that described what happened and make it something that prescribes what should happen all the time. Some scriptures have a cultural meaning. They're historic. They happen. They were never meant to be repeated over and over again. I can't go and take all of you to an upper room and wait for a rushing wind and wait for tongues of fire. I would be mishandling the text. But there are other texts that are timeless and ageless. They go beyond time and culture. And this is one of them. Be content with what you have. That's a word for these Hebrews in the first century. It's a word for you and I today. Be content. But look at the second part. For he has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Thank you, Lord. The fact that he has said this is awesome for you and I. Amen. Because he's promising these people in this particular passage, in this particular church, at this particular time that stretches all the way to you and I. He's promising them his presence. Lord, help me say this for a moment, and then we could go home. Hallelujah. Amen. His presence, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who called the universe into existence, the God that keeps it right where it is, Jesus, who upholds all things by the word of his power. If he can control the universe like he does supernaturally and powerfully and reign over it, amen, then don't we think, don't these Hebrews know that he can deal with every aspect of their lives? Amen. Amen. Yes, I'll never leave you or forsaking, forsake you. He sent his son who's a king. A king of heaven and earth. 
all authority in heaven and on earth is his. It belongs to him. He know, God has a plan that he's unfolding. Lord help us. Amen. In other words, there's a story that's unfolding from eternity past until his kingdom is set up on earth. There's a story that is unfolding where a king is, is, is having a kingdom and then there'll be people who are going to be in that kingdom who will reign and rule with him throughout all eternity and God is moving through all these ages, through all these prophets, through all this time and all these ages to establish a people for himself that he can reign with and reign over for his glory Amen. and in doing that he's, he's called the church into existence if you're saved today what an amazing thing that he's by his spirit convicted you of your sins and granted you the faith to believe and drawn you to himself and placed you in Christ and Christ is in you and so everything you could possibly need isn't it wonderful to be able to get on your knees and talk to God about something and have a guarantee like this I'll never leave you or forsake you I don't care what you're going through I'm not going to forsake you I'm there with you I'll never leave you in that situation I won't abandon you it's amazing to think about he builds his church and the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. He has a plan and a purpose of a great commission to save people from their sins from every nation. In other words, he has a story. He has a plan. He has a purpose. Where are we fitting in with that plan and that purpose? Because he said, now when you get off on your own and you do your own thing, you know what I'm talking about. I'm doing me. Yeah. I'm scared of that terminology. <laughs> Lord, I don't want to do me. <laughs> Any witnesses? The last thing I want to do is me. Amen. <laughs> I need some grace. I need some godly wisdom. I need some insight. I need the knowledge of God. I need grace and forgiveness. I need the blood of Jesus every day. The song says every hour I need thee. Yeah. I don't want to do me. Me's the problem. Somebody say amen. Yeah. <laughs> what I need from scripture is this promise. What you need, what the Hebrew Christians need is this reality that I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And when we see it, I think of the filling of the spirit is all I really need. Amen. <laughs> because in the presence of God and in the filling of the spirit, there's all the wisdom you'll ever need. No wonder Paul always prayed for wisdom and understanding and insight into the knowledge of God. What is it about that? He didn't pray about their money. He didn't pray about their healing. He didn't pray about their self-esteem. He prayed about them having wisdom and understanding and being able to see all the things that God wanted them to see about who they were and what he was doing and where they were going. And if they had that, they could handle money right. They could handle adversity right. They could handle sickness right. Hallelujah. Come on. Wisdom, the fruit of the spirit and uh, wisdom and the knowledge of God. I think of the grace of God, the undeserved favor. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. What a promise. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You might be broke down, busted and look like you're in trouble. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. But I got grace. <laughs> Amen. Lazarus was dead. He started to smell. Hallelujah. But Jesus just simply said, Lazarus. Yes. <laughs> Come forth. Yes, if he can do that to a man who's been dead four days, mm -hmm. whoo, what can he do to you in your situation? Come on, thank 
Maybe when he feels that we've been where we are long enough. Hallelujah. Maybe when he sees that we've adjusted our attitude to his views and his purposes. Maybe in some cases he'll say to you and I, come forth, Emory. Yes. <laughs> but what we do need to hold on to is his power and his presence. It's supernatural. What I sought in the occult, what I sought in the new age, I wanted to be God. That's the lie. From the Garden of Eden all the way to today, the lie is you can be as God. Ooh, my. And it filters its way through the new thought movement of the 1800s. It filters its way through the new age movement of today. And it filters its way through the prosperity and faith message of today. Ah, God help us. It's important to realize that he's saying in this verse, listen, don't, don't, don't be greedy. Don't let your lifestyle reflect greediness. Don't be like the world. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. Amen. Jesus is the message, and not just money in this text, but I close by saying this is good not just for money, though money is the context. But it says here in the verse, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say. We can confidently say. And this is what we say. This is what we believe. The Lord is my helper. A supernatural universe is <laughs> plural creating God. Saying he's our helper. See, it's trust. It's faith. It, it, it's, it's not a force that you speak out of your mouth. It's not an imagination that you work with until it materializes. It's simple, humble dependence on God and his word in his character, his goodness and his mercy. Abandoning all of what you think to what he says and what he thinks and trusting him. That's faith. Yes, it is. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is about. If you follow chapter 11, it's not about those people speaking things. Chapter 11, all the way through, those heroes are always obeying God. Amen. Why do we leave that out of faith? Hallelujah. Faith is obedience. Amen. By God's grace. And in chapter 11 of Hebrews, that's exactly what you see. Every single one of those people did something to show their faith by obeying God no matter what the cost. That's right, no matter what the cost. All of life falls under God's never leaving us or forsaking us. It's just us adjusting and readjusting our direction, our focus on God and his goodness and his blessings and his grace and his mercy on his plan. His overall plan, the kingdom plan, the church's plan. That's where we set, our, set your affections above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Don't set your affections on the earth. Now, I quoted it backwards, but you got the point. <laughs> he is our life. He is our life. So don't set your affections on things on the earth. Amen. But he says, set your affections above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Isn't this amazing? A God who can change something in a twinkling of an eye. A God who can turn somebody's attitude around. It'll, make, it'll cause you to be shocked. Amen. Right? Amen. Let me tell you one story. Amen. Peter was in jail. James had already been killed. And Peter was in jail. And the church was praying for him fervently. <laughs> fervently. And God sent an earthquake 
And he got out of prison and he went to the door of those people who were praying for him. And when he knocked on the door, the servant Rhoda came and said, oh my God. What we're praying for is at the door, but it's not him. It can't be him. They said it's his ghost. In other words, we're praying that he'll be spared, but I think they killed him and his spirit is at the door. <laughs> we need to believe the things we pray about. Trust God that he'll have his way. Sometimes God will do something so shocking that you forgot you prayed about it. <laughs> we said at the women's meeting yesterday, you know, keep a journal. All right, God, go back and rehearse all the things that God has done. And when things look bleak and dark and disastrous and broken, read your journal and see. Read the Bible and see. But in your your particular life see all the things that God has done for you I came out of two years from being backslidden by simply praying every day and praising every day and remembering what God had done for me in the past yes. God set me on fire by remembering where he brought me from not me focusing on where I was but praising God, I felt dead inside. I felt separated from God. And that's not true, but I was still a Christian. I felt dead inside. I felt broken. I felt like nothing in my life was going anywhere like it, I wanted it to. And I thought it should. I felt deserted. I was hurting. Amen. And yet one thought came to me. Just, just you know, I need to praise him for who he is and what he's done already. Do you know I praised and worshiped myself back in the fellowship with God? In only two months after being broken and broke down and defeated in my mind, in only two months I was preaching around churches in Buffalo. All I'm trying to say is God can move. He said, all you need is my presence. All you need is my grace. All you need is my mercy. All you need is my knowledge. And that's all you need in life no matter what you're dealing with. All you need is him. That's right. Amen. But we can get so fixated on circumstances and material things and, and situations that we forget that the supernatural, awesome, sovereign God is in our lives in every situation. All you can do is pray and trust him because he's going to do what's right. He's going to do what's fair. <laughs> he's going to do what's awesome. We just trust him. Amen. Amen. Contentment. As we close, he says, the Lord is my helper. We got that attitude no matter what we're dealing with, marriage-wise, family-wise, children-wise, vocation-wise, sickness-wise. Whatever we're going, the Lord is my helper. Yes, Lord. Amen? And he will do what he finds fitting to do in my situation. I can count on that. Hallelujah. If I can't count on nothing else, I can count on God being my helper. Amen. Because he promised it. Here in this verse. Our minds need to line up with him. We need to celebrate him. We need to stop crying about the situation and the problem and, and celebrate him. I didn't say ignore it. I said cry unto him, praise him, worship him for his wisdom and his knowledge and his goodness and his mercy. And the scripture says, be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. And if we believe that, then I will not fear. Amen. What can man do to me? I tell you, there's been times in my life when you get to places where you think you're going to lose it all. 
just lose it all. In the next 24 hours, you're in a completely different place. Catastrophe, catastrophe can stare you right in the face in your life and in your marriage. Amen. Scripture calls Satan, he, he roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Yes. The thing about lions is they can roar with such a roar that they'll freeze you in your tracks. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what Satan does. He's a, a roaring lion. But the scripture goes on to say, resist him in the faith. Another, you can resist the darkness. You can resist trouble and trials and heartbreak and defeat by being strong in the faith. Be content with what you have because God is our helper. I will not fear what can men do to me. Father, we thank you for the cross. Your answer for all our problems is that you would allow your son to become flesh. You would allow the word to become flesh and dwell among us. That he would be fully God and fully man. That he would live the life on this earth as a man. He would not rely on his divinity. He would not rely uh, on his powers and his preeminence but as God in the flesh he would rely on you and your word by your spirit thank you that he lived a perfect and flawless life in the name that's above every other name you allowed him to be treated as if he were a sinner he never sinned in word or in deed but you allowed him to be treated like a sinner. Arrested, tried, falsely. Hung on a cross, six hours on a cross. Shed his blood. And die. And give up the ghost. And say, it is finished. You allowed him to be buried and in three days he would rise from the death, dead because it's impossible for death to hold him. Your Lord, you're amazing that you would allow such a thing that the word, the son of God, become flesh and go through all that. But your word says it was for a reason. It was for the redemption of your people that you would take all that righteousness and that holiness and that perfection that he displayed and you would grant it as a gift to sinners who repent and believe. Amazing that you now see us as righteous. Those who have repented and believe you now see us, see us as saints, as forgiven. You now see us in Christ. You inhabit us. And Lord, what a story that you're building your church. That you purpose to allow your kingdom to be established on earth and that we would reign and rule. And Father, we know today it's not a question of you wanting us healed. It's not a question of you wanting us to be prospering. The question is when. 
when will we have all the promises fully and completely? You said there's a city that we'll be a part of. You said it's coming from above, a new Jerusalem where everything will be perfect. Lord, we pray for the strength and the faith and the grace to keep looking at your promises in spite of the circumstances and situations. And so, Lord, we pray, would you move with conviction by your spirit? Would you send conviction into hearts this morning? Would you convict that we have not lived according to your plan? We have not lived according to your purposes. We have done our own things. We have done ourselves and not obeyed you. Would you forgive sin? Would you convict someone who hears this message of covetousness, of sin? And Lord, would you grant them faith to believe that Jesus died and rose again. He's the son of God. That he ascended to heaven and that he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. Would you grant that faith, that inward disposition and resolve that Jesus is alive, that he is Lord. You said whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank you for granting repentance. Thank you for granting faith. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. We're going to call the music team to come. Amen. The minister in song. Hallelujah. And then we're going to call also uh, the ushers to prepare themselves for the Lord's Supper. Amen. And we're going to receive that together. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 